and welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 84, The Conquest of the Yucatan, part 2. When we left off, Montejo was in Mexico, regrouping after his largely unsuccessful attempt to colonize the coast of the Yucatan. He was basing himself in Veracruz for the most part, but he made a trip up to Mexico City to recruit more soldiers and to keep an eye on the land he owned there. In the city, he met up with his son, who had been working for Cortes, and had gone with him on his recent campaigns in Honduras. Now Montejo wanted Francisco the Younger to come with him and help out in the Yucatan. Having found it such tough going on the eastern coast, Montejo decided to approach his second attempt from the opposite side. He judged that his only settlement, Salamanca, although just about still in existence, was not worth returning to for now. Its failure is illustrated by the fact that it had been moved further up the coast as it had been struggling in its original location. It won't last long there either, and today neither site is still home to a settlement which can be traced back to these early attempts to settle there. By some counts, there will actually end up being eight different Salamancas in the Yucatan. They will all be founded in the next couple of decades, but while a few are still occupied, none bear that name today. On his way down to Honduras, Cortes had stopped in a Maya city named Acalan, and he had found the people there to be welcoming. Montejo decided that he should begin by heading there, and then move eastwards into the peninsula itself. I mentioned last episode that it was thought that the Yucatan was an island, but presumably by this point they had realised that it wasn't. I haven't been able to find precise information about where the boundary between Cortes's viceroyalty and Montejo's proposed one was, but it seems that Cortes was happy enough for Montejo to claim the region around Acalan. Today Acalan is not considered part of the Yucatan. It's in Tabasco, the state which sits at the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico and fades into the bottom of the peninsula as it curves northwards. The land there is similar, low-lying and hot, but there are more rivers and sources of fresh water. And because of his trouble finding these on the last expedition, this made it an attractive base. The people there were also Maya, but a different group to those on the east coast. Montejo was able to claim Tabasco as his, because no other Spaniard had managed to do it so far. There had been an attempt, however, and it was illustrative of why the region was unclaimed. A group of colonists had moved down there while Montejo was in the Yucatan, but their story was much the same as his. There was a Spanish settlement, but it was not in much better shape than Salamanca. A few Spaniards were clinging on, but they hadn't achieved very much. Montejo began by sending his son ahead to this settlement. When the younger Montejo arrived, he found that even it was now half empty. Much of the population had recently given up and left. The rest were preparing to do so. With his arrival, and the news that his father was coming to colonise Tabasco properly, they decided to stay. When Montejo did arrive, he forbade anyone who might still have wanted to leave from doing so. He then sent a ship to collect the Spaniards who remained at Salamanca, and that was the end of that settlement. 
While he waited for their return, Montejo set about seizing control of the Tabasco area. Considering his lack of success in the Yucatan, and that of the previous colonists, this proved to be relatively easy. He sent his son to the lands immediately eastwards, and instructed him to set up a new settlement which could be used as a base for his upcoming campaign. He went west, and took control of the land there. When everyone had regrouped, he put his son in charge of Tabasco, and started heading into the Yucatan, with the intention of reaching Akalan and making it his capital. Once again, conquering this part of the world proved to be much more difficult. Pretty much everyone he encountered resisted his presence, and this made it slow going. Many Spanish soldiers died in ambushes, and many more from disease. One of the survivors, who was involved from the very beginning, and will be until the very end, later said that this was the most difficult part of the campaign which he fought in. It took a lot of effort, but eventually they managed to establish control of a large area on the Tabasco-Yucatan border. After pausing to consolidate this, Montejo sent one of his captains to make the push to Akalan. He did this because he had never fully recovered from the illness he'd picked up on the Yucatan coast, and at the moment it was getting worse. So his subordinate set off, but found his progress slowed by water. Previously the problem had been a lack of it. Now there was too much. It was the rainy season, and this made traversing the jungle more difficult. Soon he came to a great lagoon, and so he sent men to find a way around it, but all they found were more impassable swamps. After a while trying to figure out what to do, the Spanish decided that their only option was to build small canoes and sail across. When they finally made it, they were faced with more thick forest. Eventually, however, they reached Akalan. They sent a message to its inhabitants telling them that they meant no harm, but the whole population decided to flee instead of taking their chances. Soon afterwards, the city's leader agreed to return and meet with the Spanish. He came in peace and to accept their presence, but he was imprisoned. The Spanish then used their hostage to persuade the population to return, as they couldn't survive and build their new colony without this labour force. Their plan worked, and they released the cacique. With labour now secured, they set about building a new settlement just outside of Akalan, the second Salamanca. This region, however, was not what they had hoped. The population was small, not big enough to support them, as they were unable and unwilling to support themselves, and there was little land which could be farmed. They decided to continue eastward, to the next major settlement. After some more difficult traipsing through the jungle, they reached it, and found it abandoned, just as Akalan had been. Their hopes for establishing themselves were even slimmer here, so again they cut their way through more jungle, this time going north to the coast. They reached the town of Champoton, and they were welcomed by its inhabitants. The local cacique agreed to be baptised, and here the Spanish had finally found a place where they could base themselves and plan the proper conquest of the Yucatan. Salamanca number 3 was founded, and news was sent to Montejo to join them. He was pleased to hear from them, although in truth they had made little progress. Just compare how much distance they had covered when compared to Cortes, Pizarro or Belalcazar, for example. But it did seem that now 
they could begin the real work. Besides, Montejo had apparently started to give up on them, believing that they had all died in the jungles. When he arrived, he took a look at Champoton and decided that it wouldn't do. It's not really clear why, but he decided to create a new main settlement up the coast at Campeche. He named this new settlement, you guessed it, Salamanca de Campeche. With that done, he started to move inland. This was to be the final proper conquest, which all the others had supposed to have been. He split his troops, instructing one group to march directly southeast across the peninsula to Chetumal, today on the border with Belize. This was right back down past where he'd focused his first expedition. A few days ago, I arrived back in Bogota, Colombia. I'm delighted to be back in Latin America, surrounded by all the sights and sounds I love. It's been a while since I was here, though, and my Spanish has become a little rusty. Have you ever learned a language for a trip abroad, to connect with family and friends, or simply just for the fun of it? You might know what I mean. To help get me back up to scratch, I've been using Rosetta Stone. It's been perfect for this, allowing me to pick up at the level that I'm at, rather than starting from the beginning. And as it's available on both desktop and as an app on my phone, and lessons can be downloaded for use when not connected to the internet, I've been able to make use of time spent on planes and buses. I've already noticed a difference as I engage in conversations with locals and navigate everyday interactions in shops, restaurants and museums. Its true accent speech recognition feature has helped me to perfect my pronunciation and encourage me to think in Spanish as well as just attempting to speak it. Over 30 years, Rosetta Stone has perfected its language learning method to create a program which is immersive, intuitive and designed to promote long-term retention. It's also great value, with its current half-price membership giving you access to 25 languages for life. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Latin American History Podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is also where his nephew makes his first appearance as he was sent down there to accompany the soldiers. The march seems to have gone relatively well, and they didn't encounter any resistance from the people whose land they passed through. They did, however, note that everywhere they went would make a bad spot to found a settlement. When they reached Bacalar, just north of Chetamau, they decided that this was the spot, and they tried to persuade the cacique there to accept their presence. This is, of course, where Gonzalo Guerrero had decided to make his home. And apparently, he had done everything he could to convince the Maya that the Spanish were not to be trusted. The leader of Chetamau refused to talk with them. But they did, however, manage to get some of the smaller caciques on side. They didn't like being under the control of Chetamau. 
The leader of Chetamal took the same approach as the Maya at Akalan, and they abandoned their town with the intention of fighting the Spanish in the bush. The Spanish occupied the empty settlement, and a couple of months later, they managed to surprise the Maya and beat them in battle. They failed to capture or kill the leadership, however, and so all this did was encourage the rest of the populations in the area to start mobilising against them. As the Spanish progress was slow and tedious, moving from one town to the next, fighting a small battle, or accepting the local cacique's proclamations of loyalty, so too this episode is starting to feel. To put a long story short, and avoid another long list of movements, I will sum up the next phase by saying that the Spanish spent the next few months moving from town to town in a game of whack-a-mole, trying to investigate rumours of rebellion, but finding those rumours constantly increasing. A small group were ambushed and killed, and the rest of them started to feel increasingly isolated and worried. As we've seen them do before, the Maya determined that it cost them nothing to say that they accepted Spanish rule. Once they'd gone to the next town, the Maya would just do what they wanted anyway. It's a pretty good tactic, really, and it worked better than those used by the much larger empires in Latin America. The Spanish couldn't tolerate this forever, though. As the signs of rebellion grew, the battle started, and so the whack-a-mole continued, but with actual confrontations. The Spanish generally won, but the Maya melted away into the jungle, and there was always another place that the conquistadors needed to move on to. As time went on, spirits dropped, as did the number of men. Eventually their movements became more about survival than defeating the enemy. As they fought their way through thick jungle and across swamps, they started to wonder if they would ever make it back to Campeche alive, let alone subdue the Maya. In the end, they barricaded themselves in their settlement at Chetamal, before deciding that their only chance was to make a risky voyage in canoes down the coast, out of Montejo's territory to Honduras. They just about managed this, but they were attacked whenever they encountered anyone, and they had trouble just staying afloat in their rudimentary vessels. They received help in Honduras from the Spanish there, and they planned to have another go at colonising the very south of Montejo's territory. This, though, drew them into an argument with the Honduran Viceroyalty about where exactly that boundary lay. The Hondurans fitted them out with a boat and sailed them back to Campeche. They had achieved nothing in the last seven months, except to guarantee hostility from the Maya in the southern part of the Yucatan. Meanwhile, Montejo was making equally slow progress. The bulk of the soldiers he had available to him had gone to Chetamal, and seeing an opportunity, the Maya in the area surrounding Campeche immediately set about planning a surprise attack on the settlement. Montejo learned that this was happening ahead of time, and he was able to fortify the town. Although they were vastly outnumbered, they managed to win the battle. This meant that his base was safe for now, but it was just another delay to his plans. When he finally felt he could spare the men, and hoping that he would soon hear that he was now in control of the south of the peninsula, he sent his son to try and conquer the north. Montejo the Younger sailed along the coast and made landfall in the far northeast. He spent some time marching around, getting his bearings, obtaining the welcome and nominal submission of the local caciques, 
although surely by this point he must have known that these words could well mean next to nothing. Then he was advised by some of his new allies that the best place to found a settlement would be around the ruins of Chichen Itza. When he got there, he found the land to indeed be better than most of what he'd seen in the Yucatan so far, and because of this, there was a large population. He was welcomed by the local leaders as a guest, and this encouraged him. Of course, soon he announced that he didn't intend to be a guest, and started reading out the requerimiento, and when it was translated to them, those leaders understandably became less hospitable. They went along with it for a time, as the Spanish began dividing up land into encomiendas, and assigning thousands of Maya to each one. But in secret, they were repeating the now familiar pattern. This time, instead of gathering up the population for a battle, one of the Maya leaders, Nakon Kupul, made an assassination attempt on the younger. This failed as a guard saw him go for the younger Montejo, but it still sparked the population into rebellion. They refused to provide the Spanish with supplies, and Montejo the younger was forced to start raiding villages in order to get the food he needed to survive. Of course, this just amplified the hostility, and eventually the Spanish ended up barricaded in their settlement, just like their countrymen further south had done. After months stuck in there and running out of food, they attempted to come out and defeat the Maya in battle. They failed, and so now the only option left was to try to escape back to Campeche. They left at night and managed to get beyond the ring of Maya soldiers without being noticed. As they fled, they were harassed, but they managed to get away. So the story in the north was pretty much identical to the one in the south. It followed the same pattern, and once again the result was that the Spanish were forced to give up and retreat. While I have condensed it down into a 20-minute episode, it was now five years since Montejo had left Mexico City to make his second attempt at conquering the Yucatan. While he had established himself in Tabasco, in truth, his expedition had been a long, drawn-out failure. Next time, we will find out if he would ever be successful. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at historylatinam. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread 
the delicious ultra-low net-carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.